Those of you who attend church frequently, um, and it's a church that follows the lectionary, that collection of readings that we follow in a lot, across a lot of denominations, will remember that every year in the Sunday after Easter Sunday, or Easter Day, we have this reading, and it's about Thomas. And frequently, um, Thomas gets sort of hauled through the ringer for not having his act together, for not believing at the right, the right things at the right time in the right way. And sometimes we're scolded for doing the same thing, that uh, something so extraordinary that we're supposed to believe that a dead person comes alive again and walks through locked doors, we should just sort of believe it. And if we don't, there's something wrong with us. We're kind of sub-Christian, or we're kind of not really, we're not really faithful. So those of us who are Christians have told us, if you don't believe this, just as it's written, then you're not really a Christian and you've got to work harder. And those of us who aren't Christians just sort of feel a bit bemused that people, how do people take this story so literally? But what does it mean to believe in the resurrection? It's got to be, according to this story, a lot more than something you do in your head. Thomas's story is about something that happens. He experiences something. So whatever this thing, this text, wants us to believe about the resurrection, it wants us to believe that it's got to be an experiential thing. The disciples appear to have experienced something that, it, that they interpreted to be the real presence of the person that they knew and loved and was their teacher. And if that was you... If you were Thomas, I mean, and you weren't there on the day that happened, wouldn't you also want that experience? That sense of kind of completeness. Something that looked like it was all over three days before now appears to make sense and to have some unity in it. Well, who wouldn't want that in their life? How much of life actually makes any sense at all? You know, some days it does, of course. But you know, and as well as I do, that as many days as not, it doesn't actually make any sense and we just go through the motions hoping that the sense of it will catch up with what we're doing. And when it doesn't, as it doesn't for lots of people for long periods of time, we call that some form of mental illness because they can't function. So everybody would want that. We want to experience stuff. We're living in a culture that is very interested in experience. We used to be a culture that wanted, that needed things, and so we got them. If we needed something, we purchased it. Somewhere around the 1920s, maybe uh, the late 20s, things started to change and advertising started to change. And instead of people being sold things they needed, there was, people were beginning to be sold things they wanted. And so we bought piles of stuff. We bought so much stuff that now you can watch a television program about a woman helping you get rid of all the stuff that you bought that you don't actually need. And you perhaps, according to her, don't even want. But there it is all piled up. And our op shop, goodies, and many other op shops around the place are being inundated with some pretty cool stuff that we can sell and use the money. Not sure who's buying it and whether they're watching the same Maria Kondo show as everybody else, and I, I don't know, but anyway, we're getting it and we're selling it and we're happy. But we've moved into a culture much more interested now in the experience. You won't find in a bookshop a hundred things to buy before you die. 
But you will find a hundred places to go, a hundred songs to listen to, a hundred movies to watch, a hundred, a hundred, because it's about the experience. We want to engage in an experience, and not just any experience, but an authentic experience. We don't just want a loaf of bread. We want it to be artisanal. We want it to be baked in a wood oven. We want to know the baker's name. You know, we want an authentic experience. And there's nothing, that's not a, a wrong thing. That's, we're trying to connect. So we're not really that far away from Thomas, who really wanted a serious, authentic experience. And I reckon there's a couple of things that happen in this story that are worth us taking, regardless of where you sit on the factuality of what actually happened. Within the story, these things happen. An authentic experience for Thomas has to be unmediated. It has to happen to him immediately without anything in between him and the experience. It's not good enough that his mates telling him they had this experience. He needs to have it for himself. That's the travel industry in a nutshell, isn't it? It's not good enough to see a photograph of the Eiffel Tower or of Uluru or of the Grand Canyon. What's really good is when you go there and you have, you know, for however long you stay. I've, I used to go to the Grand Canyon a lot because I worked near there and people would literally drive by the Grand Canyon in a coach. They would slow down, but they wouldn't even get out of the coach. And I don't know whether they had a list that they were, Grand Canyon, done. What's next? Sedona, that's just down the road. It's got to be a, an authentic experience. Because the second part of it is, it's going to take time. There's eight days. It, it says a week, um, but the, apparently the real translation is, is eight days between the experience that the disciples had and the experience Thomas had. Now, eight, of course, in, in the Bible, is, a, is the, word, uh, the sense of completion. It's on the eighth day that God rests after making creation. So if you're a good Jew, you know all this stuff. So it's important. So a long period of contemplation as Thomas is thinking through and trying to engage with what it is that his friends had experienced. Were they crazy? Were they liars? Well, he knew them. He'd been with them all these years. So he couldn't just dismiss it. So he contemplated it, which is why you probably, if you get to go to the Grand Canyon, get out of the freaking coach, you know? And even if you can't walk so well, you you can still get to the the rim and, and then... You can't say anything because it's unbelievable. It's difficult to imagine, even when you're there. So it's about taking time, and Thomas does. But it's also about involving all of you. One of the most tragic things that the Christian church has done over the last couple of hundred years is tell people to think and then put a full stop there. As if being faithful to the experience of the resurrection is to be a thinking person, a rational person. And of course it is, but somehow that's all it is. As long as you're thinking the right things, nothing else matters. And yet all the great faiths of the world encourage followers to engage with their bodies, with their whole selves. So pilgrimage, the... uh, the pilgrimage across the top of France and Spain to the Cathedral of St. James in 
the Santa de Compostela, is now, uh, there are 500 times more people on that route than there were a decade ago. I think that's all, 15 years ago. 500 times more people. It's like Rundle Mall, apparently, and I haven't done it, but uh, people, friends who have told me, it's kind of busy at different times of the year, because people want to have that authentic experience. All faiths encourage that, whether it's a trip to De Compostela or a trip to Mecca to walk around the Hajj, or whether it's meditation with a mantra, or whether it's what we do here twice a month when we actually do something. We eat a piece of bread and we drink some wine. We actually engage in something. All the faiths encourage us to do something. So an authentic experience has to be unmediated, it has to be, it has to be marinated in time, it has to take time, and it has to be all of us, our full selves. You do not love the people you love with your head. You know why? Because when they're distant from you, and all you can do is either email them or text them or talk to them on the phone, it's not enough. And you want to be near them. We know that. We all know that's how we live. And so those of us who have people we love who are distant from us, there's a slight pain there all the time. And a great joy when we know we're going there or they're coming here, whether it's for a short time or for a long time. Because love can't, that, that intense experience of our lives cannot be done in our heads alone. So this is what Thomas is doing in this story. He's having an authentic experience. It's not enough for the other disciples to tell him. He needs to experience it himself. And and in the story, Jesus expects that and encourages that. He does that from the disciples. He doesn't say, I'm here. Hi, it's good to see you. Here's my next set of instructions. He says, come here. Touch me. (laughs) We're Anglo-Saxons. Thanks, we don't do that. But that's what he does. Engage, get intimate with me. But what about the rest of us? We're not like the disciples. We weren't there. We're not like Thomas who turns up a week or so later. We've turned up 2,000 years later and we've got this story mediated through all kinds of writing. We know that the text we're reading was written written at least 75 to 90 years after the events that it's telling us about. We know what it's like writing something down after a couple of days. A couple of weeks trying to remember what happened on your fifth birthday. We know that this is difficult stuff. What if we begin not by asking if we want to experience the resurrection? Did this happen the way they said, or could it have happened? That, they're important questions. But there are other ways of experiencing it. It's like knowing about the moon's effect on the tides. It's really important to know that. It's one of the great phenomena of our whole um, environment. It, it's, it's one of the things that stitches together the earth in the way it is. It's really important to know that. But it isn't enough to know that and to read the scientific literature. At some point, you've got to go and play in the water down the beach. Or at some point, you've got to sit on a cliff in a winter storm and watch that tide come in, thumping wave after wave. Or at some point, you've got to get out on the ocean and bob up and down. That's the only way to make sense of it. And then you won't make sense of it. You will just be somehow inhabited by it and you'll be somehow in it. It will be in you and you will be in it. We know that experience. 
So maybe the questions of did it happen, how did it happen, can I believe it, am I the kind of person that can believe things like that or am I not, they might be important questions, but put them to the side just for a moment and ask questions like, what do I need to do to experience new life? What needs to happen to me that I can experience life out of death? Something has died in us frequently. Some hope, some dream, some plan. How do we arise out of that into new life? Someone we love has died in our lives. And, and it will happen again. Because it does. Because that's what happens. How can new life come out of that? What does new life look like? What does it feel like? How can it be authentic to me? Should I just make platitudes and smile and say everything's fine? Hey, you can do it if you like. Just don't come to my parties because that's boring. Can I really engage? Can I really be present in this moment, in all its pain, which is part of the Easter story, and in all its joy and all its hope? And then there's that last little bit. It's a kicker. Jesus said to him, you believe because you can see me. This is a different translation. The, the one I read before is, has a question mark in it, which actually isn't in the original Greek. You believe because you can see me. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. We are living in a time when the growth of SBNR people, which is spiritual but not religious, is on a massive increase. Part of the reason why the Santa de Compostela um, uh, war pilgrimage is so massively popular. Most of the people I know who've gone on it have no connection with church at all and no interest in organised religion. But they're interested in this authentic spiritual experience and a connection with the deep past. What is it it's saying? You trust me, which is the way we should use the word belief. You trust me, Jesus is saying, because you've experienced me. Blessed are those who have not experienced me, but they trust. That represents half the people that I know. People who trust in the hope that there is more to life than you can see and touch. Who trust the possibility that their lives have more meaning than just turning up every day at work. They don't know where the whole Christian story fits, where this story of the resurrection fits, but they're trusting in it. It's possible that there's truth and wholeness in the world. I think it can be mediated through the story of Jesus. It can be told to us through this story. Lots of people I know don't think that. Or they used to think that when they are kids and it's all been ruined for them for all kinds of reasons and they don't think it anymore. But they still have the hope of re renewal and new life. Oh God, I've gone on for way long, too, too long. Let's stop. There's so much more you could do with this, isn't there? Go home and read it for yourself and try and figure it out. God bless you.